Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. The role of data teams continues to evolve across industries, but in mission-driven fields such as healthcare, data creates efficiencies that could potentially save lives. In this episode of The Data Chief, Cindy is joined by Jeremy Foreman, the Executive Director, Enterprise Data Strategy, Data Science, and Data Platforms at CGEN. Jeremy discusses the pivotal role his data team plays in driving insights-informed decision-making and how they successfully collaborate with other departments to improve patient outcomes. Please note that Jeremy's thoughts and perspectives presented in this podcast are solely his own. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Jeremy, welcome to the Data Chief. Thanks, Cindy. It's really exciting to be here. Well, Jeremy, normally I ask, where are you joining us from? But I always notice things in the background and music and data seem to go together. So um, are those your cool guitars in the background or whose? They are. Those are my guitars. It's uh, it's what I do in my pastime or when I have five minutes here and there. Um, always try to pick up the guitar and play throughout the day. Oh, great. But I'm joining you from, from beautiful Seattle, Washington. Beautiful Seattle. Okay. A view to Mount Rainier or no? No view to Mount Rainier, and it's pretty gray and cloudy day today, so I don't think anybody's seen Mount Rainier unless you're on it today. Okay, well, whenever I fly in there, I always think it's breathtaking, the view from the sky. So um, thank you for sharing that view with us. Jeremy, I'm so excited to have you on the Data Chief podcast because Seattle Genetics is doing so much impactful work Um, particularly with cancer drugs and treatments, preventative treatments. But I just think you have a fascinating personal journey and professional journey working with Oracle in the public sector field, then the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and now at CGEN. But then your background as well, your path to data and analytics has been fascinating. So did you pick the role or has the role picked you? Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely not a straight path. I didn't take a straight line into data. I, um, you probably saw from my CV, I I spent a lot of time in the restaurant business. Uh, I grew up working in and out of restaurants to help get through high school, college, uh, and then ended up going to culinary school. Uh, where I studied under a master friend chef, and I, I worked in different restaurants. Uh, last job I had was an executive sous chef at a great restaurant called Geronimo in Santa Fe, and found myself one day ready for a career change. Um, and so that my my path took me to uh, to data, um, but again, very circuitous and and looking just for opportunity. Right? I mean, I didn't. 
I didn't set a clear destination. I just wanted to work on really interesting things that could continue to unlock my creative side uh, and solve problems that would help people. And so just kind of one thing after the other, just uh, as one, um, you know, one opportunity would open, I would take the chance and go through the door and just kind of led me down the path to today where I'm, you know, at CGen working on some pretty fun and exciting things. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that, Jeremy. And yes, working as a sous chef in high school, college, whatever. Well, I waited tables to pay for high, to pay right. for college. So yeah. So you got to make it. I got to bring it to people. Right. So there's our co- commonality. But you also talk about um, working on tough problems, and I do think in healthcare and in the public sector, there are very hard problems that often get underfunded. So how or why did you choose this very difficult space? Yeah, I uh, I do love working on very challenging, sometimes intractable problems um, because I think I think they are solvable. And I don't think that, um, you know, there there's one day you'd wake up and solve one some of these problems that we can talk about completely, but I think we can continually make progress and improve the work, you know, the, the world, uh, the government services, improve um, healthcare um, over over time, and I think data actually plays such a significant role more than ever in being able to do that. Um, you know, I, I grew up around a healthcare environment. My dad's a retired oncologist, um, but he was very focused on research and patient service and and geriatrics. So he wasn't. Um, very much focused on income. He was very much focused on service. And so, you know, we'd spend our weekends, my brother and myself at uh, the hospital doing rounds with with my dad and were, you know, introduced to terminally ill patients at a very young age. And that was our experience. Um, Ironically, that's also when I got introduced to computers because we would go to his office and play the, I can't remember what the game was called, but it was a command prompt command line prompt a computer game back in the early 80s where you have to just type in responses to to computer computer prompts all right i'm thinking i'm thinking it's it it's not pac-man and tetris was very visual okay no it was like before that uh, dragons or something like that it was just one of those you know black screen orange text right yeah and you okay we played for hours in the hospital so, and, and this then, I, I often think how the best data leaders truly understand what the organization is trying to accomplish, sometimes walking in the shoes of whoever they're, they're supporting, could be call center, um, could be sales. For you, walking in those shoes actually started at a very young age, it sounds like. That, that's actually, I, you know, Cindy, I hadn't actually thought of that before, but um, now that you're saying that, I, I, I believe it has. I think there's a reason that I ended up where I'm at at, at CGen. Um, you know, personal, uh, personal story to make it even more kind of acute is my daughter was born with cancer. And so we spent the first few years of her lives in, life in and out of uh, hospitals, surgeries, chemotherapy, and realized how difficult it is to get healthcare, to know what the right protocols are for your for your your family, um, to to the how how spoiled kind of we were to have a, my father who was an oncologist, and then 
going to clinics where, you know, 75% of the patient population didn't speak English. It wasn't their first language and how hard that must've been uh, for them to navigate that. And I just, I just could always, you know, I can empathize with what that experience is like, especially because one of the things CGN focuses on uh, um, are fairly rare tumors, at least historically. And so that's even harder as a patient to understand because there's not as much literature. Um, and so I do, um, I do feel very passionate about that, um, creating better experience, but also creating, um, you know, drugs that can address, uh, and, and kill cancer, but not at the same time have such a profoundly negative impact through, you know, things like cam- chemotherapy historically on, on patients. Well, Jeremy, thank you for sharing that. And I, I can't think of another um, example of a purpose-driven career being motivated by your daughter. I, if you're comfortable, I'd like to ask, how is she doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm very, very open about this. Um, and, and she's doing incredibly well. She's graduating with a computer science degree and a math minor in, gosh, eight days. Oh, wow. Okay. Congratulations. Yeah. So that's wonderful how it comes full circle. We do need more of these good stories, the happy outcomes. And so if you think then, wow, so back to your your father, your your father, your daughter, now you're at CGEN. Tell us about your role there and your vision in how you want to use data. Great. Um, so my role at CGEN is uh, I'm within global IT, so I report to the CIO, and my team focuses really on enterprise data capabilities, things that uh, most of your listeners are familiar with, things like data strategy, data governance, master data management, um, business intelligence, um, you know, data warehousing, uh, reporting and visualization, and a data science and machine learning team. Um, and so we really cover um, the, the gamut of capabilities and we support most all of CGEN's uh, teams, uh, divisions from what we call molecule to market, from research all the way through commercialization and all of the, uh, the functional support groups like legal and finance. So we support all of the, the, these teams across CGEN, but some of these teams are also have their own expertise and, so, and they have their own data science teams or analytics teams. So what we do is try to figure out how to meet teams where they're at and give them the capabilities that they need to be successful. And so our motto is uh, that we came up with is scaling CGEN's collective genius. Um, and so that's kind of our tagline as we think about how can we help everybody across CGEN deliver um, you know, clinical trials better or get through research better or commercial, uh, you know, get th- to go to market better. You know, that's our job internally is to really prep um, the, the teams and make sure they have the things that they need, data information um, to, to deliver our drugs to uh, cancer patients. And so we think about how best can we meet the our different internal customers, constituents, where they're at, so that they can use data for the best, um, best purpose and the most impact. Yeah, so that's a very comprehensive role, Jeremy. And I love the way that you align the vision with great taglines, scaling CGEN's collective genius. And I've heard you say from molecule to market, 
I think those are great um, taglines. And I often encourage data and analytics teams to come up with a tagline, a mission statement. But I want to unpack something. You also described owning the foundational elements. So the master data management, the data warehousing, as well as the data science and business intelligence. But then um, how do you make sure that there is good collaboration with the different domains or business units? So maybe commercial or you referred to legal. How do you foster that connection and collaboration? Yeah, great, great question, Cindy. And just to, to touch on the, the tagline, I, I do feel like these roles um, need to be very entrepreneurial. Uh, and I think you have to have that really you go to market, a little bit of a healthy competitive edge. I, I think you need to bring that because things change so fast, right? And we have to be really good about prioritization. We have to give our teams identity um, and passion about their work. And so things like taglines, mission, vision, values are really, really important to us. Um, you know, the, the way we work with, with different teams across CGEN, because we, we provide a central service, central platforms, but other teams across CGEN may be as sophisticated or more sophisticated than we are in data science, uh, machine learning, visualization, uh, and some might not be. Um, and so what we've done is we've, we've taken our, our team, looked at the kind of our market, Right where we have the the you know customers, um, where we have the most demand, where we want to think strategically, and we've created a federated model of squads. I think it's kind of becoming a little bit um, standard in the industry to think about different squads that are aligned to different lines of business. I do think squads is a good term, and I'm seeing more insight squads. Right. That's yeah. We we, uh, we call them data and analytics squads, but I like insights. That might actually be little bit more direct and and that's how we work with our with our customers product manager aligned to a business owner um, and with the intention of we're building intrinsic knowledge within the squad we're we're prioritizing together and really understanding the business and at the same time trying to help um, improve the data culture and data literacy in, in every interaction we have. Yeah, that's great. So you referred to two other things that I want to come back to. And one is that you report to IT, to the CIO, when there's a lot of debate on where is the biggest impact for a CDAO to report. Now, I know you can't sit here um, publicly and critique the kind of CIO that you work with. So maybe I'll just ask, what and, and and given that you you know you've been doing this also in other organizations, but when does that reporting line work? Like, what kind of CIO do you need to have, and do you wish that it actually reported to the CEO or COO? Yeah, g- great question, um, and I, I really think it's organization dependent. I worry less about who I report to. Um, I think the sponsorship, the advocacy, and the organization's overall perspective and philosophy around data are the most important. Absolutely. What's the data culture? Does the executive suite talk about data? Do they care about data? Um, all of those things, I think, make jobs like mine which um, and, and others across the industry um, a, a doable, right? They, they make them, you know, because we, where we have support. Now, it's not never easy. 
Um, but I do feel like within, at least within the company I'm at, um, I feel the support, right? I feel like um, we have more open collaboration and people are welcome the, the connection with, with my team. Um, I do know, you know, in other jobs I've had and um, other organizations I've seen, that becomes more contentious, right? A little bit more yes. competitive. I don't get, I, I haven't felt that. Um, partly, again, because I think I have the right support from my leader, but also because I think CGen is a very data-focused company. Yeah, and I would say every every executive team talks about data, but the will to actually use it um, and walk the talk varies. As one CIO said to me, how do I stop this management by magazine? Which I thought was an interesting right. question. So they're saying the right things, but do they really get it? But And to clarify, you've been there how long now? Two years, two years this month. Two years. So do you think the culture was always that way or did it take bringing in some people from the outside to drive culture change? I'm going to keep this not CGen specific, um, but say that I think most organizations that I've seen uh, or been a part of, or I've seen because I saw a lot of organizations when I, was, when I was at Oracle, culture is not a fixed point. Right. Um, I've heard somebody describe it with respect that it's almost like dropping a, a drop of cream in a cup of coffee, right? It just, just you know, it distributes and it, and it changes over time. And so why, the, I'm answering it this way because it's it's not a destination, it's an ongoing journey. And I think that like most companies, CGEN has grown, like most companies, CGEN and based on CGEN's growth, it changes. It changes all, the, I feel like it changes all the time based on priorities or what's right. happening in the market. And so I think we're still on a journey, Is I guess is my point, is that we're, we're seeing an ongoing evolution of how we think about data. And one last thing, I get, I think things like ChatGPT and the generative AI that are now so front and center are also making people think a little bit differently about data. Yeah. So you're bringing us down another path that ChatGPT yeah. and generative AI, take, going back to your analogy of a, a splash of cream in a cup of coffee I feel like this is now a block of sugar or several sugar cubes <laughs> like plopped into that cu cup of coffee. Um, maybe do you agree or disagree with that? I, I do. I, um, yeah, I, I, I love that. Uh, even better, the block of sugar and the... You started it. I I, yeah, I love that analogy. And I think you're right. I, I just think that we're so early. We're still... I think organizations holistically, big generalization, I, I just don't think we're ready. Uh, you know, I, I just think, I think that there's a lot of excitement and I, I think that it doesn't matter that, matter that we're not ready, it's happening and it's gonna move quickly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just don't think that um, organizations are ready for truly being insight, uh, intelligence-driven organizations. Well, Okay, so I do think whether you're ready or not, it's happening. And even in the, there's there's several states where they actually have approval to trial. I, I mean, I think of, I separate large language models like GPT or, or BARD or Amazon's uh, Titan. 
I separate that from the chat part. Yeah. I think we have to be very cognizant of this, but there are some um, states that have gotten approval to trial with safeguards chat GPT for frontline healthcare. Wow, I didn't know that. And part of why it's being approved is the nursing shortage, for example, oh. um, in, in hospital staff. So I think this is really important. But I do, I, I'm going to push back of all the organizations that might be ready. You used the term entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial. And if you have the culture of being entrepreneurial, I would assume that CGEN is more ready than some organizations that don't have that culture. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I think... Um... I do think we're ready in certain areas. I think that we're still early for, for where you where you really need scientific precision or you're making decisions that could really impact um, people um, and population. Yes. Uh, on your show, actually, one of the, the things I heard on your show from Joanne, Joanne Stonier uh, a long time ago. Uh, yes, Joanne, MasterCard. She said something to the fact that we forget sometimes that data is not just ones and zeros, that every decision we make impacts a person or a group of people. I felt like that was so profound. And I, I think that um, with large language models and chat GPT, we have to be very careful in the healthcare and, and pharma, pharma space. Um, but I do, but having Absolutely. put that disclaimer out there, I do think that there are a lot of use cases where we're ready to take advantage of, of the technology. Yeah. And we do want precision medicine. We would love to improve that molecule to market. So so take us through an example, if you can, whatever you're allowed to publicly share, of how you have actually used data to drive that life cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, again, my team is you know, we're not the ones that I just feel it's important to put out there. We're not the ones that are running clinical trials or right. in the field, running drugs or doing the research. Um, so what we try to do is find out ways that in partnership with our business partners, we can help create more productive processes, uh, generate more insights. So some of the things we, we've done is, um, you know, some things that pharma organizations have to do in regulatory intelligence is really keep up to date with what's happening, what decisions have been made from the reg regulatory agencies across the world. Um, but that can be really hard. It's all documents, right? It's all PDFs, very long, very deeply scientific. Um, that can take weeks uh, to answer specific questions that you might be asking about you know, an F FDA decision. And so we, um, my team worked in partnership with our in, um, business team here internally. Uh, we were able to really automate using machine learning and LP, we were able to take that, you know, two week uh, timeframe down to just, you know, a couple of hours to answer questions. And so it's not um, revolutionizing healthcare, but it's actually helping the team spend more time on, you know, delivering insights and in, in making decisions than searching for things. Um, so it's just one example, but those are the yeah. types of things we look at that we think we can help accelerate work and make people more productive. Yeah, two weeks to two hours is huge. Ra I'd rather those people spend time nice. on the critical thinking rather than on the gathering. Um, commercial 
is also a key area in life sciences. Is that an area that you focused on? Yeah, so we support that we do have a team in commercial that's very uh, advanced and capable with with data and data management. The way we help them uh, and partner with them is through uh, a lot of uh, helping with data acquisition uh, and data storage, data organization and publishing it. Um, But then also, you know, one of the things my team is focusing it on is the the very, you know, fun problem of master data management. <laughs> um, is that fun? I don't know. <laughs> it's important. Be careful what you sign up for, right? <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's it's critical. It's critical. And so that's one of the areas we're partnering with our commercial team on and a lot of other teams across the company is uh, healthcare provider, healthcare organization data. How do you, um, just like, you know, it's no different decision than other pharmas or biotechs, that's, you know, kind of a, your customer. And so how do you um, make sure that your HCPs that you're looking at in sales are related to the investigators that you're looking at for clinical trials, but make sure you have really tight, uh, really strong firewalls between that information. Uh, how do you, you know, it's just those types of things, uh, the typical master data management problem. Um, and as a company that's really scaling globally, um, that becomes more important as we look to find HTPs and HDOs uh, across the uh, across the world who could get our patient our drugs to cancer patients to improve their lives faster. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So as you shared so much, I feel like I should share. I know that CGen has been um, one of the important drugs is around Hodgkin's lymphoma, yes. which I, I lost my father to 10 years oh, ago. Um, so I just think, yeah, if that visibility in the drugs were there 10 years ago, maybe things would have been different. But um, as, you, as you think about this master data and what you've been able to do already with converting long documents using NLP, sometimes you get blocked though. So what gets in the way? You you referred to some of the regulators. Is it regulation? Is it underfunding? Is it lack of imagination on the art of the possible? Yeah, it, it's specifically around master data management or just in, in general? Just in general, trying to create um, an innovative data-driven organization for that collective intelligence. Yeah, I I think it's a yes to all three, right? I mean, I think there are challenges um, for funding, and and I I think you know funding can also be seen as a, a prioritization problem. Yes, right. Like, are you work? You know, how do you know you're working on the most important things that are driving the most business impact, right? And I think that um, especially with the excitement around data in most companies, there's a lot of a lot of diffuse investment, and sometimes you know it could be more op- um, opportunistic for companies to maybe pool investment or think more of like a VC funding internally for data-related innovations. Right? You might get less uh, shots on goal, but you might get bigger impact. Um, and so sometimes underfunding is is uh, could be could be a matter of you're, we're working on too many things all at the same time. Um, but, you know, but just, again, being uh, you know, entrepreneurial, really like getting data to be seen as a strategic investment helps, you know, helps make a change. And 
something I've heard you talk about on your podcast a lot is business value, right? Yes. Well, so how are you, how are you settling those competing priorities then? How do you decide that? It's hard. And, and I try, I don't want to be the arbiter of that um, because it's not, I'm not the, the one, um, you know, that needs, that has a problem that needs to be solved. Right. I, I, what we've done is we've, through the squad model is we've distributed our capacity based on our best understanding of the demand in these different areas and really let the prioritization happen within between the data product manager on the squad and the business, the line of business, uh, to try to empower autonomy, but also kind of constrain capacity a little bit because we can't scale for, for everything. Um, and so that's that's the way we've been approaching it. It's not perfect, but um, but it has helped. Yeah. So if you if I take that a step further, and I'm picturing, I'm just going to randomly take supply chain versus commercial mm-hmm. in a life sciences organization. So you're letting each of those squads prioritize within those groups. But then, what if there's a resource that is required across? So maybe somebody says. Jeremy, go evaluate ChatGPT, or we need more data in the cloud, and it's a shared data set. How do yeah. you, what happens then? Oh, no, great question. So I do have a couple of centralized squads that are, so we have we have what we call domain squads, which are line of business aligned. Yeah. Then we have capability squads. Um, so I have a platform squad, a source data product squad, eCore DM, our enterprise core data management. We've moved away from master yep. data um, because of the connotation of master slave and wanted to, to move away from that. So it's eCore DM. <laughs> That's good renaming. Right. And, and data, data. Oh, it's all my, my team. Um, and data science, machine learning. And so the source data product squad is the one that sees all the data requests to get data into the cloud. And so they're able to make connections across, across different squads for common resources. And then, of course, we also do typical agile things like Scrum of Scrums. Uh, we do portfolio reviews to see if we have contention or um, or also opportunities for prioritizing you know, data acquisition that could help multiple squads at the same time. Right. So that sounds like an ideal operating model. And, you, and given that, uh, I mean, anyone that is still working in a waterfall approach in this area is so far behind, but can you crystallize some of the benefit of one, the squad concept, but also using agile, like how long in other organizations that you worked with? So maybe going back to a previous job, how long did it take to deliver the data ready for analytics versus how long does it take now at CGen? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And and I definitely don't want to I don't want to make it sound like everything's perfect because we have a lot of work to do. We've been on an 18-month journey and a lot of Agile to go. But I would say that we have been able to probably 5X our delivery. 5X. Yeah, from when I started to what we're delivering now in terms of number of reports. Uh, We're increasing our our data acquisition by 20% a year. We've We've seen our queries against our data warehouse go from, you know, um, a few hundred thousand to a few million a month. Um, all be- I think because we've distributed the capacity, and instead of um, 
getting service tickets and then going to build something based on tech specs that somebody gets. Um, we've been able to, I think, prioritize the most important things that have the most value and and then remove a centralized bottleneck, right? Like it, it used to be everything went into a big queue and then it had to be adjudicated and then distributed and, and then engineers are fragmented across use cases. And so we just stopped that. And, um, and partly, I think one of the reasons it was uh, we were slow in the past is intrinsic knowledge, right? People were fragmented across these different needs. And so we've also just aligned resources. And I think it's helped quite a bit. And um, we still have, again, you know, challenges. Um, we, you know, waterfall is still, you know, a, a mindset. Uh, I think that's hard to change, but we're changing it. I think product thinking is so important in our space to think more about value, customer empathy, you know, business context, um, that, that I think is, is as important as moving into Agile. Absolutely. That product thinking and design thinking, really, yeah. what are we trying to do here? Um, rather than that order taker mentality right. and process. But usually when organizations go through that kind of transformation, there are some people that get left behind or they're afraid of the change are there specific tactics that you've employed to bring people along? I love the, the, that question as well. And we, the, the minute we started this transformation, we brought in coaches um, and we've, we had coaches for most of our time. And, you know, we hired people in TED Data product manager roles that didn't have Agile product management experience, but had very deep domain experience. And so we've invested in in make in, in help helping helping people understand agile, um, helping people understand what's an epic, doing some definitions, building community of practice. Right, that's a big focus of ours is community. And so we're you know we have community practices for data product managers, um, scrum masters, even our engineers. This was new for our engineers as well, um, and. And so we've taken the time, I think, um, to bring people along. We also have this uh, idea of culture as a product, and we have a culture squad. Oh, culture as a product. Uh, this is a new one for me. Yeah, yeah. Not my idea, uh, my team's idea. Um, I, and I don't know, they might have got that from someplace else, but I love the idea um, because we look at it as it, it's, it's an ongoing commitment. It's an ongoing um, investment. It's, a, it, you know, it has a life cycle. We have to keep investing in it. And then there's a volunteer squad called the culture squad that actually thinks about priorities of where we need to continue to invest in our culture. And I think that has also helped to create some psychological safety that if you're not perfect as agile, it's okay, right? We'll get through it if we stick together. And and are, are transparent with each other. Yeah, that um, I really like that. I think that's very useful. Thanks for sharing that. As we um, talked about the patient journey and the need to make sure it's precise, I noticed um, in CGen, you talk a lot about FAIR data products or F-A-I-R. Can you explain a little bit more what that is and what it means? Yeah, um, so FAIR principles, FAIR, fair data principles, uh, findable, access, accessible, interoperable, reusable data principles uh, published in uh, 2016, a group of researchers 
uh, got together and really wanted to address the, the um, challenge of sharing data and reusing data across, uh, across organizations, across industries. Um, thinking that there's, as we know, there is beyond primary use of data, there's secondary tertiary uh, value in the data. Um, but a lot of that data, data gets lost. Um, I think COVID actually helped catalyze this as well, where there became a lot more sharing of, of research data for different researchers across the world to innovate. Um, but they're, they're, you know, findable. It's all about, um, you know, finding, you have to be able to find the data first, whether you're a machine or a human, which means you need really good metadata. Which is hard. Which is hard. Yeah. Right. Ontologies, taxonomies, um, it has to be accessible, right? So once you find it, you have to be able to access it. So within the data itself, being able to understand authentication, um, those sorts of things, um, interoperable, you know, data has to be interoperable with work workflows, applications, but also integratable between different data sets and finally reusable. Um, so that, so it's, uh, you know, so that people can use that data for other purposes in other contexts. Um, and so that that's um, something that I think life sciences, the healthcare industry, but some other industries as well have been been looking at. And some companies have made a lot of great strides. Oh, for sure. I think um, data sharing across the whole value chain, regardless of industry, whether it's CPG or healthcare and life sciences, can be game changing. But there are a lot of regulatory blocks as well as privacy and ownership. So if you if you take your CGen hat off for a moment and think about this as somebody who understands the value of data, but also your ownership as a patient, if you were writing the rules today, how would you say patients should be able to share or not share the, their data across that whole value chain? Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that if writing the rules, um, it has to be complete empowerment to the patient. Um, and they have to be protected. Even if they agree to share that data, they have to be protected along the way. Um, but, but I, you know, I do think that it's, it's, there's so, so much value in there, there, but again, back to, you know, Joanne Stonier's quote that, you know, it's, it's more than just ones and zeros, you know, are, are, do we have diverse data sets? Are we building bias into our, our models? And so I think that, um, there's an ethical piece of that rewriting of the rules. And I also think that it's, you know, patients and families need complete autonomy, to decide when and how their data is going to be used. Um, I guess one other thing I'll say that what I'm hopeful for with technology is that's going to become easier as we build in uh, better data lineage tools, better provenance tools. I, I foresee a future where users can actually inter interject themselves into workflows when their data is being used and make a decision, you know, whether to, to share that data or not. I would hope that happens, but I think that also assumes that the average citizen or the average patient understands understands data, and I don't think we're there yet as a society. Agreed, 100%. Yeah. Um, I want to do a little bit of a shift, and uh, I want to go back in time because you also had a very fascinating role early on in your data journey for Los Alamos National Laboratory, studying nuclear 
armaments and non-proliferation. How was that? That that was one of the most incredible jobs. Uh, I was so fortunate. Um, and I worked for nuclear non-proliferation and international security at the Los Alamos National Laboratory. I worked in a vault. Um, it was it was just really exciting because what we were trying to do is stem the flow of weapons of mass destruction, or what they still are doing. What the the, the team that I was working on. Um, worked with in partnership with the Commerce Department and all the different nuclear labs across the country, making sure that exports from the United States that could be used uh, for the purposes of weapons of mass destruction didn't get to the wrong hands. Um, and so it was my first introduction into uh, what we now call machine learning. I think back then we called it uh, statistics. Um, but it was my first introduction to really thinking about um, how to use predictive modeling for, for identifying potential harmful uses of these exports. It was really, really exciting. Very, very cool. Um, it was, and it was the, I think it was the, the job that, that really woke me up to wanting to make sure that everything I do, because I, I like to work, so I put a lot of hours in. I want to make sure that what I'm doing is giving is is serving a purpose um, and, and giving back in some capacity. Which clearly that serves a purpose. I would imagine the stress levels also were through the roof. Yes, it was stressful, um, but also really exciting. Um, it was, you know, you were part of a great team um, and it, you know, it didn't feel stressful in the moment um, just because um, we've, I mean, just again, good team good technology, yeah. super smart people, and uh, all committed to a single purpose. Yeah. So as I think about um, the beginning of your career, Jeremy, and I think about some of what you alluded to where we are now with generative AI, the, the potential, I like the phrase that actually our co-founder and CTO, Amit Prakash, used related to this. He said, it's like we've discovered a new element in the periodic table that can make things possible that were not possible before, but it also could be potentially explosive. And I think about the role for data leaders in intense industries. This is your moment, either for something to go disastrously wrong or like breakthrough and how how do you cope with both the possibility but also the risks? Yeah, I I think about this quite a bit because I'm I'm a technologist. I love innovation and and I'm very excited about where generative AI can take it. I love the the that I listen to the podcast. I love that phrase. It's like <laughs> a new uh, element. So as excited as I am, I'm also concerned um, because I I think it's. You know, it's more of like unruly toddler stage uh, versus mature adult. Um, and there's so much we don't know. Um, so I think companies have to be vigilant. Uh, I think you have to be really thorough on what you're using, especially again in life sciences. Um, I think you have to be really thorough to make sure that what what could be the potential negative or unintended consequences of using generative AI for a particular purpose? I do think that there are use cases now that people could benefit from. We do you know, a lot of document creation. 
And if it's human in the loop type of use cases, I, I think that there's a lot of controls we can still put on there. But but I, I do have my own kind of concerns about what what things could look like in, in 10 years if we don't have really, you know, the right responsible regula- regulations, accountability within organizations, um, to your point earlier, education of, of the population and awareness. Yeah, I think it requires all of those things and some scenario modeling, scenario planning yeah. about what could go right, but what could go wrong. Human in the loop, absolutely required. So Jeremy, thank you for sharing so much. We're going to do a hard, fun pivot now with a lightning round. Okay. You're CEO for a day. What would you tell the data team? I I think I would tell them three things. I would tell them that one, know your business as well as the business knows the business. Yes. I think two, I would say focus on value. Make sure that you know the value of everything you're doing. And I think the third thing I would say is never let progress and delivery be at the cost of culture. I just want to pause because I feel like those are three great things that I think many data leaders and CEOs should actually write down, put it, put it on a postcard. <laughs> All right. One word to describe chat GPT. Infant. Infant. <laughs> Fill in the blank. 10 years from now, when we think about chat GPT, we will say... I actually think that... I don't think we're going to be talking about chat GPT in 10 years because I think it's going to be so embedded in everything we do and all of our applications and things like this video conferencing software that we won't even... Chat GPT will be a thing of the past. It'll be more integrated and more seamless in everyday life. Oh, interesting. That quickly. Okay. Fill in the blank. Data is? Food. (laughs) My next question was going to be, I have to come back to the food. Uh, Tell us your favorite food that you like to cook as a culinary chef. Oh, boy. I loved, I started, uh, my, my earliest memory started with baking. So I love to bake. I love cheesecakes. Baking? Yep. Yeah. I love to bake. Uh, my the cheesecake was my go-to. Was- We're gonna have to swap cheesecake recipes. I have a creamy style oh, New York lovely. style cheesecake, creamy, creamy. And um, all right, so so you like baking? How about favorite food to eat? Um, is that the same? <laughs> it, it is not, and it's funny because people people make fun of me just having the culinary career and everything. I love tacos. Tacos. <laughs> I love good talking. How about um, a song that pumps you up after a really hard day at work? Um, So I think, well, maybe because you're Jersey-based, I'll say that for the first time ever, I was able to see Bruce Springsteen live uh, about a month ago in Jungle Land. Jungle Land, though. There you go. And if listeners don't realize, we actually do have a Data Chief playlist on Spotify. So we will add that one. Yeah, we'll add that one. Um, How about a moment in your career? You've made many changes, but what told you that you knew it was time to make a change? Um, It's pretty uh, extreme, but the the last night I ever worked in 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 a restaurant, the power went out. And the owner insisted we stay open. So we were cooking by flashlights, lanterns, 
we and we had a charcoal grill, so the smoke was filling the kitchen. And we we're cooking with rags over our, over our mouth. And, and and this is a fine dining restaurant. That's when I realized that I'm working. My son's not one yet, and he's at home, and I'm here. I think I I think I need to rethink this. Oh yeah, that sounds awful. And I'm kind of laughing because something like that happened when I said that is the last time I'm hosting Thanksgiving for 30 people. <laughs> First world problems, but there you go. Jeremy, you've shared so much. You have a purpose-driven life and a purpose-driven job in our data and analytics space. But maybe if we can end with, you choose either something that has totally made you laugh out loud uh, of late or something that you are most grateful for right now? I'll go with the, the latter, the, what I'm most grateful for, you know, aside from, you know, family and health and that sort of thing. I am so grateful for my team. Um, I've, it's the dream team. Um, and I'm just so, so thankful to the, the journey we've been on and their patience and their commitment and the camaraderie over the past two years. It's been incredibly special. That's so wonderful, Jeremy. And I often see that as a characteristic, a trait of many great data and analytics leaders is they credit the team. It's about the team. Thank you so much for being on The Data Chief, Jeremy. Thank you, Cindy. This has been fun. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.